What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's Open Championship. That's right. The sixth and final major of the super season is here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I love the late night golf, the early morning golf, firing out random tweets at 2 a.m. That's all right in my wheelhouse, so I'm absolutely stoked for this week. And in return for a major week, I'm giving away a year-long subscription, actually two year-long subscriptions, to rickrungood.com. That's my website. It's the site where you see all of the tools during this video and every video. It's where they come from. I love it, and you'll love it. At least I think you will. Uh, here's two ways to enter a draw for a subscription to rickrungood.com. If you're here on YouTube, like the video, make sure you're subscribed, and comment below with who you think is going to win this week's Open Championship. The other way, probably the easier way to win, is to leave a five-star rating and review on the iTunes version of the show. Say something nice and leave me your Twitter handle. I will put the link to the iTunes version in the description. Do both of those, get two entries, and win just like Xenon and DPTEJ did last week. Congratulations to those two. I've reached out to both of you to get you all set up and plenty of content coming this week, uh, especially in the form of live chats, 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. That is the regular open championship live chat, ownership, weather, uh, questions, whatever you want. That time is yours. 8.15 p.m. Eastern time is the jock market power hour. That's also on Wednesday. That's all things stock market DFS. And then the Friday cut sweat show got to get a little creative here on timing is going to be approximately 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, breaking down the cut line, what it's going to be, who's going to make it and how that's going to impact your fantasy lineups. That is on Friday as of right now, 2 p.m. Eastern, and it certainly can change So make sure that you have the notification bell on because I'm going to try to time it right so that we get a really good sweat and it's at the time where it's the most valuable sweating opportunity. Okay, I think that's it. Lots of content coming, lots of data coming. Can't wait. Let's get started. Royal St. George's. The 15th time Royal St. George's is going to host the Open Championship. We haven't seen it since 2011. And of course, this is where we were supposed to have it next year or last year, excuse me. So it's not like, you know, we skipped it. It just got pushed back a year. So Royal St. George's was next in the Rota anyway. And this is, in general, the easier uh, of the you know the Rota courses that we see regularly, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be easy. And a lot of it is weather and wind dependent. The way the winds gust off the coastline there in Kent uh, can be troublesome. It's not going to be particularly warm. Looks like it's going to be under 70 degrees for most of the week. So uh, all of this can change, but what you're normally going to see at an Open Championship, what you're going to see at Royal St. George's this week, and I'm so stoked for it, is that there are real margins out there. You know, I think there's going to be low scores. I think there's going to be high scores. Uh, you know, some of these pot bunkers, are almost magnetic to golf balls, right? And you you hit an okay shot and it just kind of keeps trickling and turns into a bad shot. You know, the margins are very, very small. There are holes where there is a lot of risk reward with the drive. And I shouldn't say a lot, maybe uh, a lot of holes, a majority of holes have a little bit of risk reward off the tee. So you try to take a little bit of an edge and then a little bit of an edge and a little bit of an edge. But if you bite off more than you can chew, that's when a big number comes into play. So you're going to see a uh, great driving. You're going to have to be a great driver if you're going to want to take on some of those off the tee advantages. And as we know with most majors, but especially here 
at Royal St. George's, you need to have a complete game. Uh, let's let's be real. You have to have a complete game, both physical and mental. Uh, the four par threes play in four different directions, so the wind will give you four different looks at at, at these tee shots. It's it's an incredibly beautiful design. You know, if you look at it just on paper and you look at the yardage and you look at all this stuff, you're like, that's going to be pretty easy. Um, but I think it's going to be a mental test, and, and I think there's going to be. Some really interesting outcomes this week. It's a par 70, 7,100 yards. There obviously have been redesigns over the last, or, uh, you know, redesigns over the last couple of hundred years, basically. Um, but this is going to be a fun one. The course looks like it's in immaculate shape and uh, things can change so, so quickly. So what am I looking for for this week? Uh, if we look at the the data for past Open Championships, and remember, this is all Open Championships. This is not at Royal St. George's because that would only be the data from 2011 in the modern game, right? So this is all Open Championships. And while it rotates courses, you can generally get the same type of golf, a link style type of golf, um, you know, where the ball can also be played on the ground and sometimes even encouraged to be played on the ground. And the number one stat, which is only more important at two other courses, uh, is strokes gained around the green. And I think that makes a lot of sense because where you'll see a lot of strokes hemorrhaged at open championships are in pot bunkers. You know, that is where a lot of these can be won and lost. If the ball uh, trickles in and now it's up against the edge of it or up against the face of it, it might be two or three shots to get out of there if you're not if you're not playing it carefully or you're going to have to play backwards or you're going to have to play sideways. Um, so guys who are able to get up and down, guys that have that kind of short game magic when things are getting tough and windy seem to have a lot of success at Open Championships or at least that's what the numbers would indicate. So if we start to look at some of those golfers since, uh, let's do last 36 rounds. I usually like to do 36 or 24 rounds. And we can do strokes gained around the green for everybody in this field and guys with a sample size. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood would be number one. Kevin Na, he's withdrawn. I'll get him off of this sheet. We've got a couple of guys with small samples. But then it's Tommy Fleetwood, who you know has not played, I think, up to his own lofty standards uh, this year. But this might be an opportunity. Lean into the ball striking. Lean into the short game that we get good Tommy Fleetwood. Tony Finau would be second. Uh, Brian Harmon, third. Patrick Reed and Jason Day would round out the top five. So these are the types of golfers that we're looking for, but I'm not putting any, or I'm not putting too much weight on any one stat just because I think it's going to have to be well-rounded. It's going to be a test. It's going to, it's going to just drive you absolutely nuts. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Here's the cheat sheet. There are five golfers over $10,000 led by John Rahm. And it is well-deserved for him to be the most expensive golfer on this slate. Uh, not only the last time we saw him on the PGA Tour, he was winning the U.S. Open, but also he played the Scottish Open last week, finished seventh, and didn't really seem to have his good stuff. Looked like he missed a lot of putts and looked like he burned a lot of edges, and if some of those fall, maybe he runs away with it. So John Rahm, um, certainly well-rounded, right? You start to look at the guys that gain strokes across the board, all four major categories. John Rahm gains in all of them by at least a quarter of a stroke. There's going to be very few guys in this field that can boast something similar to John Rahm. What has he done at Open Championships? Well, the last time we saw him play, which was two years ago, it was a T11. Outside of that, not very good, but uh, now the number one player in the world, now certainly uh, confident, certainly ready. I'm not going to look too much into uh, history from three, four, and five years ago, especially because it rotates courses. After John Rahm, 
I think there's a lot more question marks. You know, Roy McElroy was his victory at the Wells Fargo Championship the outlier, uh, or is that the start of something more? He has been phenomenal at Open Championships outside the one at Portrush two years ago. Brooks Kepka, I think, is the most interesting. So not only is he in the middle of the pack, 10700 which kind of puts him in this sandwich pricing where many people will opt for Xander at 10000 because he's cheaper, he's well-rounded, all that stuff. Or if you're going to go up and pay for Rory at an Open Championship or you're going to go up and pay for John Rahm, that is certainly viable. But Brooks Kepka's hanging here. And it's really hard to forget, or maybe it's hard to remember, his results have been amazing. Three of his last four starts, he's finished second, fourth, and fifth. Two of them are majors, and it somehow feels like there's this narrative that he's not playing all that well. Let me pull him up on the actually brand new uh, uh, golfer profile tool here. And what you're going to see is a couple of things. Uh, Last 12 rounds for Brooks Kepka, absolutely awesome. Not only uh, total, but from tee to green, which is where he's doing the vast majority of his work. That is really good things to see. Where does he make his hay? Not only is it tee to green, but it's off the tee. He's 10th in strokes gained off the tee. He's 15th in driving distance. These are all the types of things that are going to come into play at Royal St. George's. You can see only one event since Houston has he lost strokes off the tee. That was the Masters. He missed the cut there. We know that was his first event, kind of trying to limp his way through it. He's seemingly getting healthier and healthier all the time. Man, Brooks Kepka, uh, certainly scary when you start looking at, at, at his results and everything that he's been able to put together. Dustin Johnson likely to be pretty under-owned here, so we're going to keep an eye on that for uh, the rest of the week. He was in contention last time we went to Royal St. George's uh, until he sprayed, a, I think it was a two-iron right on, oh boy, 14-15 or whatever, OB right there, and, and kind of coughed up his chances on Sunday, and he hasn't played well, so I imagine people are going to kind of keep their expectations in check for DJ. Xander will be incredibly popular. I think that's fair when we build a lineup, uh, you know, when we build a model at the end of the show, and we start kind of uh, emphasizing all these strokes gain categories kind of um, not equally, but in, in good parts, I think Xander is going to pop up. Pretty pretty safe to say that. Now, Bryson is a huge question mark, right? We can go to Bryson's Holy Grail, and we can look at his results here. And I have a lot of concerns. And he has proven a lot of people wrong all the time, uh, and myself included. But what we're seeing from Bryson right now is zero, let's call it top 15 finishes in his last six. I know that's pretty arbitrary because he's got two top 20s. He's got one 26th place finish, but I'm concerned about a couple of things. I'm concerned about this stroke gained approach, which at times can get really awkward. I'm worried about around the green play. We saw that at open championships. That's the stat that is most closely correlated to success. And then I'm worried that, um, you know, he is capable of losing a lot of strokes putting. And I'm also just worried about, a lot of distractions, a lot of noise with Bryson DeChambeau right now. I'm also worried that his game, specifically designed for the PGA Tour, almost specifically designed for Augusta National, I'm not sure that plays great. You know, he is going, like, when Bryson misses, he misses huge. And when you miss huge at Royal St. George's, you are in fescue. You are at the mercy of luck. You are at the mercy of the lie. When you are just a little bit off with your irons or your wedges, like we have seen him be on these kind of flippy wedge shots in the last couple of weeks, when you're a little bit off with those and you get attracted into every single pot bunker, it's just, 
it's so hard and it's a grind. And it is, I, I just worry that this style of play is not really well suited for open championships. And his record, of course, this is kind of before he made the, the full on transformation. Isn't that good? He's played it three times. He's missed two cuts. He's finished 51st in the other one. It's, it's not particularly great. Now, the 9K range, the rest of the 9K range is probably where you start licking your chops. Jordan Spieth, um, you know, I haven't done this in a while, so we might as well just go do it right now. If you go since the start of the 2021 calendar year, maybe you're saying, Rick, that's too far. That's, you know, six months ago. What do I care about that? And you start looking at the best players on tour in that time frame. It's it's Jordan Spieth and John Rahm. They are within two tenths of a strokes gain a stroke gained of each other in about 50 and 54 rounds. I mean, those two are uh, I don't want to say significantly because that's not true. They are the best players on tour this year, and uh, you know, Spieth really does possess the creativity, the mental fortitude. If you don't think that, like, the, an Open Championship is an unbelievable mental grind, and while he is neurotic at times, while he is paranoid at times. He's in full grind mode on every single shot, and that's really valuable in situations like this. So Jordan Spieth at $9,700. Um, I'm not sure how popular he's going to be. We'll check back in on you know the live chat on Wednesday for that. But Spieth is is rocking and rolling right now. And the fact that we haven't seen him since the open or since the US Open, maybe that tempers a little bit of expectation on him. Maybe it tempers his ownership a little bit this week. And if you look at uh, you know his ownership in in how it has trended, uh, the last two starts, the U S open, he was six and a half percent owned. He was 6% owned at the Memorial. Uh, maybe we get a sub 12% Jordan speed. That might be asking too much, but very interested to see how it plays out over the course of the next couple of days. Then you get his buddy, Justin Thomas, who, I mean, since his, since his, um, major or since his players championship victory hasn't been all that good. Uh, I think that's I think that's pretty clear, and I do worry that the driver at times can get really really wild, which is going to put you into some trouble at Royal St George's. But he's starting to play a little bit better. We just saw him finish uh, eighth at the Scottish Open last week. You know he's got to lean on the driver a little bit, and the putter is always a little bit scary. But if he can start throwing darts again, if he can start getting back to his strengths, you think that Justin Thomas is going to be in play each and every week that he tees it up, and especially a week like this where. He's probably he might be the lowest owned guy of the nine thousands. He might be. He might be. The rest of this nine K range, I'm super stoked about Morikawa and Victor Hovland. You know, this is such an interesting situation. We have a guy in Colin Morikawa who has won four times and he has a major championship. We have a guy in Victor Hovland that has not only won twice on the PGA tour, but just won on the European tour a couple of weeks ago, who have never played the open championship right? Because we had the year off and these careers have just exploded onto the scene. We don't have any history. And I do worry that experience is a big part of this, but um, let's dive into a couple of these guys, into these guys a little bit more. And when you start looking at, uh, in my opinion, and you could argue this isn't even really my opinion, this is uh, the metrics bear this out too. Like the most important stat seemingly every single week at any tournament is strokes gained approach. And Colin Morikawa is light years ahead of everybody in strokes gained approach. Since the start of the calendar year, he's gaining 1.4 strokes on approach Uh, of anybody else with a sample size. That is about a third of a stroke per round better than Paul Casey. That is a huge gap. It is the same gap between Paul Casey and approximately Keegan Bradley, who is one, two, 
three, four, five guys later. I mean, it's just he's lapping the field. He's absolutely lapping the field. Do I worry about this the sporadic putter that can get away from him at a major championship? Absolutely. It is a concern. Um, but man, if he doesn't show up at big events, uh, I, I don't know what else to say. You know, a fourth place finish at the U.S. Open, a runner-up at the Memorial, that was in a playoff. Uh, he can get it done. And then the other, in, the really, really interesting one, you know, I think is Victor Hovland, who we, he withdrew from the U.S. Open because he got sand in his eye. Remember that? That was, yeah, that was just last month. And we have seen him really improve his putting stroke and his short game over the course of his young career. So this chart, this graph here, this is his running total of strokes gained. So if we go around the green, it doesn't look that good, but essentially since the start of 2020, he has been a zero, a zero around the green player, which for him is great because the the early trajectory of his career was headed straight down. And then you look at strokes gained putting and you can see, yeah, you know, he's never been a great putter, but since the start of the calendar year, look at all of these gains he's made. He's actually turned his career total uh, almost into the positive. So it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting situation that we have. And we already know he's one of the best ball strikers. Um, the fact that he already has three wins already in his young career. I just, I just think that these guys are wild cards. They're, they're really wild card type players that uh, in this field and at this event can make a ton of noise. As we go lower down the board, we're really starting to get into some value plays here. I've been playing a lot of stock market DFS on Jock Market, and I've got some buy low and sell high opportunities for guys that I'm going to be targeting or avoiding this week. If you're new to Jock Market, it's Stock Market DFS with the ability to bid on golfers until Wednesday evening and the ability to trade them throughout the course of the entire tournament. And what I like is that you can make money on golfers even if they finish 40th, as long as they beat their own expectation. And one of those golfers I think is primed to make money is Stuart Sink. He is certainly no stranger to winning this year, twice already a winner this season, and he is no stranger to the Open Championship. This is going to be the 22nd time that he tees it up. Three out of the last four years have resulted in top 25 finishes, which is essentially all I'm asking him to do because I'm trying to get Stuart Sink at $4.25. And if I can do that, he only needs to finish 40th or better to return me a profit. And then I'm targeting Alex Noren, who missed the cut last week at the John Deere Classic, but I think that's a good thing. It's going to keep the price on him in check. Remember, he was just one shot out of the playoff at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and he's been piling up top 25 finishes this season. And when you get over to an open championship, that is the style of golf that Alex Noren really seems to thrive in. He's made four cuts in a row with the last three resulting in a sixth place finish, a 17th place finish, and an 11th. That is three consecutive top 17 finishes at this event. I'm willing to spend $5 a share on Noren, which is asking him to finish 34th or better to return me a profit. And then on the other side of the coin, there's a couple of golfers that I'm looking to sell high that I'm not as excited about. We'll start with Bryson DeChambeau. I'm willing to spend $8.25, but history says he is going to be more expensive than that. In 15 cash markets for Bryson DeChambeau, he has cost an average of $9.30 during IPO and only three times, three times in those 15 cash markets has he actually returned you a profit and he has been a big 
big loser in the last three. The concern around Bryson this week at Royal St. George's is uh, the ability to stay out of trouble because this is a knife's edge golf course where you can get eaten up over small margins, and I'm not sure that that's the type of game that Bryson DeChambeau really thrives in. I'm willing to spend up to $8.25 on Bryson, but history says he's going to be more expensive than that, so I'll probably take a pass. And then Webb Simpson, usually very steady to return you a profit, has lost in four consecutive cash markets. He's missed the cut at the Rocket Mortgage at the U.S. Open, and I'm assuming that his IPO on Wednesday evening is going to finish around $8.50, maybe $7.50. That's normally where we would see him. I'm only willing to spend $6 per share, which is asking him to finish 28th or better. I don't have much confidence, and I think he is going to be bid up to a price that I'm not willing to pay. So Bryson DeChambeau and Webb Simpson are two golfers I'm unlikely to have many shares of. If you want to get in on the action, there are two ways to do so. Download Jock Market, use the code RICK. That'll get you a deposit bonus up to $50. And then join myself and Joe Idoni Wednesday evening, 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel. That is the Jock Market Power Hour. We will talk you through the final hour of the IPO phase and get you ready for this week's Open Championship. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, the 8K range here, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm almost a little bit worried about this because I, I was very much on the Patrick Cantlay train. I was probably conducting the thing um, right before the Players' Championship, and that started his mini slump, you know, where he misses the cut at the Players', um, doesn't get out of his group at the match play, misses two more cuts after that. I mean, it was a really poor stretch of golf that was really driven by a horrible putter. There was a uh, seven event stretch in which he lost strokes gained. He lost strokes with the putter and he has fixed that. And with the fix has come the great results. So a win at the Memorial, a 15th at the US Open and a 13th at the Travelers. And he is looking like the version of Patrick Cantlay that we all want to see. Now, the version of Patrick Cantlay at his best is a guy who can win any event. Uh, do I wonder about the the ability to grind through it for four days in tough conditions? I do. But if I look at the metrics and try to find a guy who can stack up with the ball striking prowess and now the kind of renewed fixed putting stroke of Patrick Cantlay for this price, good luck. Good luck. You are really going to struggle. I mean, look at this. I, just on the cheat sheet here. So this is the last two years, uh, which I like a long term. I like a long term view of this. Uh, Patrick Cantlay is averaging 1.55 strokes gained total. Uh, that would rank him in that time frame sixth in this field. Uh, well, he's being priced as like what the twentieth most expensive golfer, something like that. So there is just a little bit of a disconnect when you start to look at the longer. Um, the longer view, the 30,000 foot view for Patrick Cantlay, you know, anecdotally, the rest of this range, um, it doesn't move the needle much for me in one way or another. I think Scotty Scheffler is really, uh, really interesting. Played well in the European tour last week. I didn't see what his finishing finished 12th, but I believe his worst round was, yeah, one of his worst rounds was, uh, he didn't play particularly well on Sunday. He shot better on, on, on Friday and Saturday. So I think he's kind of interesting trending in the right direction, but I do want to go to, uh, the data here and go to the Holy grail and just kind of look for, you know, since the start of 
2021, who are some of these guys in the 8K range that are playing well? That's really all I'm looking for. So I've just sorted it by strokes gain total. Patrick Cantlay, of course, is the first name that pops up. Patrick Reed is the second name that pops up. You talk about a big game hunter who has a good short game. Well, Patrick Reed certainly fits that mold at 8,800. And then, okay, Scotty Scheffler is number three. So kind of uh, two of the three guys that I would have identified with my eyes are also being identified with the data. And then this one's really interesting. Um, Webb Simpson would be next. Man, this is uh, a little bit worrisome, I think. You know, he misses the cut at the U.S. Open, misses the cut at the Rocket Mortgage. He's been dealing with the neck, right? The neck injury where he missed some time. I don't. I really don't know what to do with Webb. Um, I don't think he's going to be very popular. He's only 8,300. He's got decent results at Open Championships. Let me go back and find some more history on Webb here. So he's right here. Only one missed cut in quick math. Eight trips, and the last five have all been top 40s. His best finish is 12th in 2018. I just, I'm kind of just mediocre on on web right now not too excited not too down on him probably won't be overweight on the field but really interesting to see that he pops up uh because i guess it's really you know the time that he missed and then the two poor events is is really what drives a lot of our perception but his his, his longer term season has been much better it is also worth pointing out that i think for the first time in a really long time at a major tony finau is probably not going to be that popular uh he is 80 400. He has missed uh, two cuts in a row. He hasn't played particularly well leading into this, but he did pop up last 36 rounds for strokes gain around the green, which I think is important. And he has a really good history at open championships Four trips. The last two have been top tens, no worse than a 27th in any of them. So I think as the week goes on, he is certainly a candidate for one of these golfers that I think could rise up my chart uh, for for the next for the next couple of days, you know, if he starts coming in single digit ownership, and uh, I'd be really interested to see how that pans out because this might be an opportunity to get him at a really really leverageable number. I find this seven K range to be absolutely fascinating. You've got um, Matt Fitzpatrick who just lost in a playoff last week in Scotland. Uh, seemingly when when courses get difficult or you get big spots that you think Fitzpatrick isn't going to play well in, he's been proving us wrong quite a bit. Finished 20th in 2019. You know the game's in good form right now. So I, I, I think that's a really interesting spot. Then I think that uh, Jason Day, who is starting to show us something. Let's pull up his Holy Grail and see if we can um, find out where these gains are coming from. And I imagine they're all going to be short game related and they are a really hot putter a really good putter I shouldn't say hot because when Jason Day was at his best this is what he was doing so for the last two weeks he's gained at least three strokes putting the short game has been pretty good uh and now two back-to-back 15 top 15 finishes in a row and I also think that whether you're kind of in good form or not, you know, Jason Day, you can argue outside of these two events hasn't been hasn't been very good. When you have a lot of experience at open championships and a lot of pretty good experience, a lot of top 25, a lot of top 30 finishes, I think that's important. And especially when your gains have been via the putter, via around the green, 
Jason Day starting to get more and more confident. $7,700 feels like a pretty decent price for him. So I don't hate that at all. And then the other guy, you know, Joaquin Neiman is sitting here uh, fresh off a runner-up finish in which he lost in a playoff, right, at the at the Rocket Mortgage. He is a guy that I think, when I think Link style golf, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but when I think Link style golf, uh, the ability to hit the ball low, keep it below the wind, kind of shape your shots, have a go-to shot off the tee, uh, the ability to be creative. Um, these are all things that I think Joaquin Neiman excels at. You, you know, I start thinking about Royal Melbourne at the President's Cup and seeing what he did there, and I start thinking about Kiowa and, and, his, and his 30th place finish there. And like this is this is I think a type of golf that's going to be really good for him. And now he's seventy seven hundred dollars, which seems like a steal when you start comparing him to. Uh, I'm going to name somebody, and they're going to win. You know, Sergio Garcia. Am I excited about Sergio this week? Probably not. Now he's going to win. But like, I, I think I'd much rather have Joaquin Neiman in that situation. The rest of the 7K range, it does offer a couple of guys that um, I think are somewhat interesting. And these are guys that gain in all categories, right? So here's Daniel Berger. Gain strokes in all four major categories. If you think this is going to be a well-rounded test, in which I think I do, uh, Berger certainly has a well-rounded game. The results at Open Championships haven't been great. Uh, coming off of a, a 34th place finish at the John Deere Classic last week, but a 7th place finish at the U.S. Open in his start before that, I think that's interesting. Also, Harris English, who uh, won at the Travelers and uh, finished 3rd at the U.S. Open, seems to be back in his 2020 form. If he is, that's really scary for the rest of the field. Also another guy that gains strokes in all four categories. Ricky Fowler. What are we doing with Ricky Fowler? Uh, let's pull him up here because we have not done a deep dive on Ricky since he's kind of been going through these swing changes because there was nothing really to look at. Let's see. There is a couple of things that I like. Uh, he has putted better. You know, three out of his last four, he's gained strokes with the putter. That's the thing that unlocks Ricky Fowler. That's his weapon. That's when, when he lost that you knew it was going to be a long time for, for everything to come back. Now uh, we are starting to see gains again with the irons on the approach three out of his last four. He's gained there as well. This is leaving me a little bit optimistic. If you want to play the narrative game, the guy, you know, just missed out on the U S open for the first time in a decade. Right. I mean, he's just all, all of these situations where uh, he hasn't been playing and he hasn't earned a spot, the masters, right? I mean, it's just now he's in one. How about he just goes out and plays well and he's playing the best golf we've seen in 18 months? Not that that's a huge statement, but he is. Now we get into the riches. I mean, the bottom of the 7K. Just riches, riches, riches. Robert McIntyre, no problem if you want to go there. Uh, Alex Norin, seemingly a lot to love. Uh, missed the cut at John Deere last week, which I think is just perfect. Let's keep this ownership down. It was just a week before in which he missed the playoff uh, at Rocket Mortgage by one shot. He ends up finishing fourth because, that, of course, that was your three-way playoff. And then you start looking at the rest of his results. 13th at the Memorial. Made the cut at the PGA Championship. Had four consecutive top 25s before that. He's kind of a short game, kind of specialist, but he's figured out the driver in his last five starts. He's figured out the irons in two of three. You look at the history at the Open Championship. Three starts since 2017, a sixth, a 17th, and an 11th. Ooh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of exposure for me to Alex Noren this week. Um, I can't avoid that. That's going to have to happen. 
you could make arguments for for Guido Migliozzi, who has um, you know played awesome since since the U.S. Open, fourth the U.S. Open, thirteenth at the Travelers. Obviously, a smaller sample size on someone like him. And then you go down into the six K range, and you start, oh boy, what are we what are we doing here? There's a couple of guys that are always underpriced. One of them is Ryan Palmer, played really well in at the Scottish Open last week. Most people are not going to realize that he is always underpriced. The one that people will probably realize is Stuart Sink because not only is he an open champion, uh, but he's been playing well this year, right? Twice a winner, has the distance off the tee, uh, not as quite uh, an all-around specimen as I would prefer, but the the history at the Open Championship is certainly valuable in these situations. I'm considering someone like a Lucas, a Lucas Herbert, who at $6,800 is going to fly under probably a lot of radars here. So what we have is an 18th place finish at the Memorial, a 19th at the Travelers, but that doesn't even begin to tell the story. Uh, He won, I think it was two weeks ago on the European Tour, finished fourth last week. He's playing well. He's doing it in a way that's flying under the radar. Most people aren't going to realize it. I I like Lucas Herbert a lot at $6,800. Um, you know, Lonzo Griffin, uh, he's been playing okay. He's sub 7,000. That's usually like the automatic play on him, but it is, um, honestly, that's kind of the shtick. It's, it's the, the, the brand isn't as strong on, on that, uh, over his last couple of starts. And then you have Lucas Glover who, you know, at 6,600 bucks, uh, I, I mean, I'm recording this with like two holes to go, is going to win the John Deere Classic. I hope I did not just put the giant hex on him. But winner at the John Deere Classic, uh, you know, maybe he's someone that can uh, revive. I mean, he played well last time at, at Royal St. George's. I don't remember what his finishing position was, but he was in it for a long time in 2011. Now the quick turnaround is certainly concerning, and I would be worried about that. All right. I think it's time. I, I have to do this. I have to keep scrolling. Um, you know, there it's it's a major championship. There's a lot of good names in the 6K. I wouldn't mind Sebastian Munoz. I wouldn't mind Carlos Ortiz. I'm still scrolling because Sam Burns is 6,300. I, 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 I'm not going to be the guy to tell that tells you you have to play Sam Burns at a major championship because he's too cheap again, but... Here's the situation. He was super cheap at the PGA Championship. He withdrew uh, after five holes. He was super cheap at the U.S. Open. Missed the cut. He is now down amongst the bottom of the barrel golfers in the $6,000 range. Uh, He is $6,300. To put that into perspective, Sam Bairstow is $6,300. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Sam Burns has won this year. Finished 13th at the Travelers Championship. If you just want to kind of see that this is like, I, you can do whatever you want, obviously, but this is a mispricing. Uh, on DraftKings, he's 6,300. Uh, on DraftKings, Sam Bairstow is 6,300. On FanDuel, Sam Bairstow is 7,000. On draft on FanDuel, Sam Burns is 9,000, right? There's obviously a huge disconnect here. Sam Burns on FanDuel is being priced at the same way that Basically, Max Homa and Jason Day are. Those guys are $800 and $1,400 more expensive than Sam Burns on DraftKings. If we want to go even deeper than that and you want to look at the odds to win this golf tournament, let's do it. Sam Burns is 80 to 1 to win. He's 6,300. Ernie Els also 6,300, 350 to 1 to win. So you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Play Sam Burns if you want to, 
Don't play him if you don't want to, but it is obviously the biggest mispricing of the week. He's going to probably be 25 to 30% owned. Well, no ownership later in the week as we start to project that out, but it is clearly a misprice. Clearly. All right, let's run a custom model here. If you haven't been on rickrodgood.com since the last major, there's been a lot more added to the custom model, so this should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to do the last 24 rounds. That, to me, is um, that's kind of the sweet spot. And I'm going to create a weighted strokes gain total because I think you need an all-around game, but I'm going to put emphasis on off the tee, 25, and I'm going to put 25 around the green, which is a lot for me, a lot for me. And then I'm going to put 20 on approach and I'm going to put 15 on putting. So that leaves me with 15 weights. Um, okay. So what can I do here? I can do a couple of things. It's par 70. So I can put 10 on par five on par four scoring. And then I can put five on three putt avoidance. Um, you know, some of these greens, are like 40 yards long. They can put the the, the, the pin anywhere. A lot of them are, are, are undulating. A lot of them have multiple tiers. So let's just try this. Let's see what this pumps out. Maybe I weighted the strokes gain stuff too much. We'll see. This gives me... Oh, boy. Jordan Spieth, number one. Abraham Answer, number two. Answer pops up in every single one of these models for me. Rom, number three. Okay, that makes me feel better considering uh, since the start of 2021 or whatever I punched in earlier, Spieth and Rom were like the best players on tour. So that makes me feel better that two out of three of those, that those three, those two guys are in the top three. Patrick Reed is fourth, presumably because of the short game stuff. Hatton is five. Interesting, a name I didn't talk about. Sam Burns, oh boy, sixth. Morikawa, seventh, love it. Scheffler, eight, love it. Harmon, ninth, hate it. Can't lay 10th. Love it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I mean, the Harmon stuff, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow after, after the miscut at John Deere. I'll be, I'll be quite honest with you. That's going to be, that's going to be a little tough to swallow. What if we open this up a little bit more to, let's say 48 rounds, just to, let's just double this and see what happens. And I'll have to redo this. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah, I should have stuck with 24. Now Cantlay's number one, which makes sense because if you start opening it up to before the, the slump, even even if this does include the slump, which it does, he's been awesome. He's number one. Then Rom is two. Reed is three. Answer, Spieth, Scheffler. Louis pops in. Xander pops in. Even Jason Day pops in. So um, it's not a, a drastic change, but noticeably Cantlay uh, pops up there. Louis pops up a little bit more interesting. Okay, well, I've got a little bit of homework to do, and you've got a little bit of homework to do. Uh, you can go run your models on rickrungood.com. You can go check out your stats. You can do all that stuff, but it's going to be an awesome week, and it's going to be a weird one because it's going to be at awkward times, and I can't wait for it. I'm planning on not sleeping. Let's go. A lot more content coming this week. Tweet me at rickrungood. Leave a comment below. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you guys soon.